Hi, I'm Robert Pearson, and this is Follow the Leader. We're doing another blue-collar Bible scholar study where we're going to get you from the place of barely knowing what your Bible is to being able to actually read it for yourself and answer your own questions and even check your pastor's footnotes and some of the things he says on Sunday. All right, your relationship with the Lord is between you and the Lord via the Bible and via fellow Christians around you. But it's uh, ultimately your responsibility, what you believe and why. So here we go. Today is going to be a bit of a meta study on how to read the Bible. And uh, so it's there's a little bit it, the, it, the waters are a little muddy, but they shouldn't be muddy. They should not be muddy, because if you read your Bible like you read every other book, it's really straightforward. This is what the Protestant Reformation was about, is everybody finally had a copy of the Bible that they understood, and they look over the Catholic Church, and they're like, Hey, you're not doing anything in here. This doesn't say anything about indulgences. Or murdering Muslims? What is, what is happening? And then suddenly the church is like, Don't ask us questions. Well, you're not Christians anymore. We get to decide that. Okay. We'll keep meeting at churches over here, I guess. Bam. Protestant Reformation in like, what? A minute? So, the, the, uh, the, the fancy ten-cent word is homiletics. The, uh, that's fancy talk for reading stuff, specifically reading your Bible. I don't know why they can't just say, read your Bible, we gotta call it homiletics, to uh, confuse the masses, I guess, for all the people that aren't members of the elite ivory tower club, you know. <laughs> so, the homiletics is when just how you read your Bible. And, uh, there are several different ways, and I'm not going to go into any of them except one, and it's the way that is common sense, because it's how you read every other book. It's called the historical grammatical method. You learn about the history, or the time in which the book was written, who it was written to, who wrote it, why were they writing, uh... The, uh, the aim, right? Author's intended meaning. A-I-M. It's called exegesis. I'm going to look at the text, the book, and take the meaning that somebody took the time to write to me. And there we go. Now, when it comes to the grammatical side of it, it's simply knowing the language, knowing the grammar structures in the language, because sometimes words mean different things when it's a, a dative over a genitive or something. Or, oh, this preposition with a genitive means something completely different than when it's a dative or blah, blah, blah. Weird, weird in the weed stuff, okay? Most of that's done by the time you get to your English translation. But the grammatical side also includes a knowledge of the genre of the book. Historical narrative 
Hey, I went somewhere and did a thing. I saw a thing happen. That's historical narrative, right? Real easy. People went to a place and did some stuff. It's a thing. That's historical narrative. Versus, uh, I forget all the fancy other names. Prophecy. Uh, a guy says, hey, this is going to happen in the future. This is going to happen. Uh, a lot of times prophecy comes in the form of weird, trippy visions. That's going to be understood differently. Uh, if you have a giant statue and then a giant mountain flies out of the sky and crushes the statue that was made of different things with, like, clay feet and all kinds of weird stuff, that that's all very different from the historical narrative I just talked about. That's also very different from an epistle, which is a letter, a pistol. It's, it's a letter that somebody wrote, right? You're going to read a textbook different than you're going to read a letter because you're, that a friend wrote to you because he had a trippy acid trip and he wanted to tell you about all the stuff he saw. That's going to be different than a love letter that your wife wrote to you, okay? Those are three different genres that when you hear people talk about genres, oh, it's a prophetic genre, or he's doing a theology here. Those are different genres. And it's they're typically very obvious what's happening. If you're in historical narrative, in the thick of it, Jesus went here, Jesus did a thing, and then all of a sudden Jesus makes enough food to feed thousands of people out of a couple fish and some bread, it didn't magically change. The genre is still historical narrative. So the author is saying this supernatural event occurred. And so you can't just suddenly go, this is allegory because it's a prophetic vision. That Why? Why is it a prophetic vision? Because you don't like it? Because you don't believe in the supernatural? Why? Reading the text, there are no clues as we read this that says the author, oh, and I was taken away in a vision. Or it was as though... A, or I suddenly saw, or I was in a trance on the Sabbath day. These are all phrases that show up in the Bible. And it makes it obvious, oh, the guy's talking about a vision. God showed him a vision or something, and he's telling you what he saw. Cool. As opposed to, this real guy went to this real place and did a thing. They're fairly, they're, they're obviously convinced that that event actually happened with those people in the manner that they describe it. Oftentimes, because they're an eyewitness. So this is important as you read your Bible, but also understand it's not complicated. Anybody who tells you it's complicated or you just don't understand what genre this is in, they're an idiot. Anyone can understand. Anyone who reads, if you can read the language of the Bible you're reading, you know, if it's at your reading level... You can understand exactly what's in the Bible. No problem. If you hit a sticky spot, remember the Bible is a whole book. So if it seems like God is saying it's okay to murder people, you're probably not reading the rest of the spots where it says you shouldn't murder people, like a lot. So maybe you're reading that one spot wrong if there's tons of verses that say murder is not okay. Pardon me. So you've got to balance all these things together as you read the Bible. Just keep in the back of your head. That's why I say read a whole book. 
Read a whole chapter. Read the more context you have as you read the Bible, the more it makes sense. Because if you want to manipulate the Bible and make it say whatever you want, you can do that. I can do that with any book, though. I can take a Jules Verne novel and show how it's really about a search for enlightenment and shows you how to live a good life by twisting random bits and suddenly this becomes an allegory or suddenly this character represents the subconscious, whatever. I, I could just start ripping stuff out and making making it up, make a good line. That's what uh, this Jordan Peterson cat does when he reads the Bible. He just comes up with a bunch of nonsense that sounds good and fits some other stuff. And uh, yeah, he, he doesn't have to actually intellectually engage with... Uh, any of the theological nuance to any of the other civilizations he's referencing, he can just with a wave of a hand go, oh, this is exactly like Jesus. Never mind a thousand years of uh, Islamic theology. Uh, it's close enough that, you know, I'm just going to make parallels between Muhammad, Jesus, and Beowulf, uh, completely ignoring any of the spiritual nuance given to Beowulf by Nordic tribes, people, or any of the you know, 2,000 years of Christian theology around Jesus. Ah, I know better. I can make it sound good. That's pretty obviously dumb. That's pretty obviously the wrong way to do things. So if you read the Bible the way you read any other book, you're going to just understand that a person wrote this to other people at a time for a reason. Once you know all of those... Whatever weird sticking spot you had or thing you didn't make sense to you is going to suddenly, boom, fit and make sense. Right? If you're stuck at some part of the Bible, you're reading through Colossians, and all of a sudden, Paul says, oh, you know, be good to each other, love each other, go to church, and uh, greet each other with a holy kiss. What? Christians need to kiss each other every time they say hi? That seems weird. I like even even dudes? Homosexuality's not cool at all in the Bible. You're not supposed to have adultery. Why are we why would we be kissing other women besides our wives? What is happening? Well have you ever been to a Middle Eastern country? They're still like this today. Even some Eastern uh, European countries. There are European countries that will, you know, uh, Italy. If you get to know an Italian person, become good friends with them, you'll you'll say goodbye and they'll move in for a hug and you're like, okay, fine, I can do a hug. They'll they'll kiss you on your cheek before you know it, like that, like lightning. You won't even see it coming. And they'll be, boom, outside of arm's length by the time you turn around and realize what happened. Because that's their culture. That's them. That's how they roll. They kiss each other on the cheek to say goodbye. Oh, well, alright. That's a cultural thing. Cool. So Paul's not talking about a context where you would... Paul's not talking about a context where you would kiss other men or kiss women that you're not married to in the way that we kiss in our culture. Kisses mean something. They mean a romantic affection and intimacy that is not shared by every culture. That makes sense. 
because our understanding of kisses is very different than that culture at that time when he says, greet each other with a holy kiss. Cool. Christians don't need to start kissing each other. But the sentiment remains intact, right? Be friendly, be nice. You know, don't show up to church and be like, oh, I don't want to shake your hand, you're dirty. You know, get in there. Give them a hug. Shake hands if you're not a hugger. That's fine. But be friendly. Be open. Greet each other with Christian love and kindness. Don't be afraid to reach out and shake your hand. Get your hands a little dirty. doesn't matter. The sentiment is the same, so it's easy to apply. But that's why it's confusing at first, and you learn the little history, and you go, oh, okay, cool. Or, you know, maybe the word kiss, if you dig up the Greek on it, maybe that Greek word for kiss really means maybe something a little more elaborate. Or a little more nuanced, or maybe it's a vaguer word. It could mean kiss, or it could mean hug, or it could mean a high five. And the translators just decided to go with kiss. Um, it's it's the cultural case, by the way. It's just that the culture of the time. But I'm giving it, using it as an example. That's how you solve those weird sticking points as you're reading through the Bible. You, you hit a, a nuanced spot where you don't understand, this doesn't make sense to me because of the rest of the Bible that I've read. So either you you read this part right and the rest of the understanding needs to be revised, which is rarely the case, but it happens from time to time, especially when you're a young Christian. Or this verse right now I'm not reading correctly because it doesn't fit everything else that I've read. So your first thought as you read through your Bible just read it like any other book, like it's Jules Verne or H.G. Wells or whatever. <coughs> and then when you come to a spot that makes no sense, because it doesn't fit with everything else that you've read, stop and think for a minute. Am I reading this verse in a way, can I read this verse in a way that fits with all the other stuff I believe? And if the case is, you know, yes, then just understand that maybe... I'm not. I'm missing something. If it still doesn't quite make sense, then start looking at the history. You know, who wrote this book? What time did they write it? Just start Google. Let your fingers do the walking. Uh, ignore scholars that are going to talk about the uh, the later dates, and they they believe that you know oh, the the multiple editors or the the really the the Q source document for this passage is. No, don't, don't listen to that nonsense. It's just going to confuse you and uh, slowly turn you into an atheist. Because it assumes the Bible is untrue at its outset. It assumes um, supernatural things are not true at its outset. It assumes the biblical authors are not the biblical authors, and it is not inspired. So, that's, that's it, man. Uh, the Bible's pretty simple as you read it just read it like you would any other book if you get to a spot that confuses you dig into the history if it still confuses you look up the greek what does that trouble word mean you know like like in the greek other the holy kiss okay what does kiss mean oh well, it means a kiss all right what does holy mean maybe it's a kind of kiss that i'm not familiar with you know look up what is, okay all right Holy kiss, it means holy kiss, awesome. So what's the culture, what's the history? 
How how does the how does Middle Eastern uh, first century Middle Eastern culture play into this? Or uh, Near Eastern? It'd be ancient Near Eastern uh, or first century Roman. So that's that's all there is to it, though. Um, also, I'm going to tell you go to blueletterbible.org to do any of your Greek work because uh, you read the trouble verse, you click the little uh, tools icon to the left of that verse. And uh, click interlinear, and it'll give you the original language to the verse you're looking at. It lays it all out. It gives you a breakdown of word by word by word, so you can look at, oh, here we go. Here's the strongest concordance for that word right there. And if you want to understand what the word means, you don't need to be an expert in Greek. I'm going to do more on the how to do a Greek study, but just the, the broad stroke is you read all the verses underneath where that word shows up in the Bible in other places. And understand that that's really the range of meaning for that word is the way it's used in all those other places. And then you find out like the word spirit and the word wind and the word breath, it's one word. Even in Greek, Greek and Hebrew, it's one word. It's not the same word in Greek and Hebrew, but um, it, whenever you're reading wind over and over again, you're, it's the same word for spirit in, in Hebrew and uh, most of the time in Greek. Greek has uh, kind of a wider range of vocabulary words they use. So, we are going to do a quick example of uh, a Bible study. Here we go. So, I'm going to find a place to park the car right quick here. I'm going to find a good place to pull over. I'm going to actually read Bible verses to you and show you that most questions are answered verbatim, straightforward, out of the text, as if you were able to ask the Apostle Paul himself a question. Which is pretty cool. The The tricky part is knowing where those passages are, being able to find them, and uh, finding those passages. So, uh, it's it's one thing to say, read your Bible, pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow. If you have a specific question or a specific problem, how am I going to get an answer to that? Well, i got to go to the Bible with a question. How do I find my answer? I know it's in there. Where is it at? Um, I've gotten real lazy these days. I don't like Google just because of how much of our information they can control. But they've been doing their job okay so far. And uh, they're just, I'm watching them. Anyway, what you do, you go to Google and type in Bible verses about, and then you put your question in. And you'll get a ton of top 10 lists or, you know, 10 verses about such and such, or 15 verses about this, or 20 Bible passages, or 20 stories in the Bible that inform whatever. There's zillions of blogs out there. Find one that's a list of Bible verses. And that's what you're going to use to start reading through your Bible. And then to make sure you're not just getting what they picked selectively out of the text. I I forgot to finish up. That's how you make the Bible say anything you want. Is you take the verses that you like, that say what you want them to say, and you forget the whole rest of the Bible. If you only take two verses, Judas went out and hung himself. And then a different verse... Go and do likewise. 
And then in the third verse, what you do, do quickly. Well, the Bible just told you to go kill yourself. Like, right now. No, it didn't. I took what I wanted to say out. And then put it together. To make it say what I wanted to say. That's how you know there's a problem. Because if you read any of those verses in their original context. That's not the point of the passage at all. But if I don't stay rooted in the context of the passage, in the context of history, in the context of the way the language is used, then I have no limit to what I can make this book say. So you're going to the Bible with a question. What you want is a list of verses about your question. So just Google first Bible verses about. Bam, now you've got a good top ten list to start. Look those verses up. Read the chapter each verse is in. And then, with if you still don't have your question answered, if it still doesn't go, all right, I see where they're coming from. That makes a sense. That's a good way to look at it. Uh, then, go to one of the verses and find the key words, right? If you're concerned about love or justice or um, whatever, take the key words out of the passage. Like we were, uh, the example, the holy kiss, right? Clearly, the whole point of that, the sticking point is the word kiss, What does that word mean? Where else is that word used? Uh, Where else does Paul specifically use that word? And uh, that's... that's, uh, uh, What are the other keywords? Right? And you look up all the verses where those other keywords show up. And that's how you get a solid, well-rounded picture of what the Bible says about anything. So our example, what what is, why for government? How, as a Christian, am I to relate to the government? Um, should I fight the government? Should I yell and get angry? Uh, should I just lay down and, and die impotently and do whatever I'm told? I don't know. Let's look at the Bible. Now, there are lots of different passages. I've got two passages I'm going to use because they sum up the argument quite well and they are verbatim, explain, they, they verbatim just lay out the biblical position on it. And I have to find a place to pull over that is not someone's driveway and I am finding that difficult. So, the passages are... Dum, dum, dum. Romans, chapter 13. Uh, I didn't bother writing down the verses because it's almost the entire chapter. It's not quite. It's from the start of the chapter all the way to, uh, I don't know, like more than halfway. And then uh, 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses uh, 13 to 17. So, what does the Bible say... Ah, there we go. I'm going to have a place to pull over here. What does the Bible say about government and our relationship to it? Now, being in America, I I have a little different... There's more nuance. Um, there are a larger variety of positions to be taken as you, uh, as you approach 
uh, the American government than other other governments. You might have. So, uh, we're going to go to Romans. This is my duct tape good book. It's, uh, it's awesome. I like this Bible. This is New American Standard Version. If you are just desperately curious. Uh, Acts, Romans. I should have bookmarked it with the card. I didn't have that. Foresight, Romans. There we go, 13 now. Uh, and it's okay to not take that long. The uh, If you're brand new to reading the Bible, at the very front is a table of contents where it has the page number for every book. There we go. That is in here. You can get a list of the table of contents up front if you're still using a paper Bible, like a caveman. Uh, and there's some explanatory notes about how they translated your particular translation. That's usually what comes up first. Uh, they'll explain the abbreviations, and there'll be a listing of books of the Bible and the page number they're on. And then it lists the books of the Bible alphabetically. If you have try, if you don't know if you're in Old Testament, New Testament, you, you still don't know, or you're you're new to it. They just have an alphabetical listing, so you can just find whatever one you're looking for. Not a big deal. And then in the very back, usually they have some maps and stuff. The Exodus map is always wrong! And, uh... Ah, uh, there we go. And then there'll be a concordance if you want to find a word. And this is... These are not exhaustive concordance. Exhaustive means it's every single verse where that word shows up. These give you, like, a top five list. Or a top two or a top three of the, the word you're looking for. They're not bad. It's better than nothing. Um, but it's also so they can fit in these tiny Bibles. Because an exhaustive concordance is like this. And really, just, just search a digital Bible. It's going to be a lot faster. Alright, so, uh, Romans chapter 13. Every person is to be subject to the authority, uh, to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for, of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sakes. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And, oh, there we go. See, I'll finish this. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this, saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So... That's, uh, that's pretty straightforward. It's You have to obey the authority because all authority comes from God. Alright. Uh, not the answer I wanted, right? But uh, that's, that's part of being a Christian is knowing when to submit to the will of the Lord, which is you have to you know submit with God. 
Um, not in the way the, the Islam does. Our God is merciful and logical and not sheer force of will that you submit to. Uh, but you've got, you have to submit to God because the rules are the rules. Uh, see, I'm going to stay here a second and then I'll jump over to Peter. So if you are loving your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to be murdering and stealing so you won't have trouble with the law. That's why you should focus on exuding Christian love. And you need to obey the laws put over you. That means pay your taxes, whether you like it or not. I don't care what the Constitution says. you got to pay taxes or the police come after you. That's the authorities placed over you. And the uh, they, they don't have the sword for nothing. That's why police carry guns. Our police carry guns here. Because... You, you want them when you have the wicked person who also has a gun, who is uh, doing monstrous things. They are ministers to the Lord. And, uh, yeah, so you've got to obey, and that's it. Now, quick, here's where history adds some fun nuance, and doesn't it doesn't change the fundamental meaning of the text, but it, it lets you know how serious Paul is, because when this is written, Nero is emperor of Rome, the Nero, uh, the guy who will eventually light his garden with the burning corpses of Christians, according to tradition. Um, this this nutcase and the local rulers that are oppressing Christians all over the place. So the you can imagine the Nero administration is pretty hardcore. They're the ones in charge, as Paul is saying. All authority comes from God. Your job is to obey the authorities put over you. Their job is to punish evil and reward the good and use the sword to do that. And they're accountable to God for their behavior. Now, I'm going to jump over to 1 Peter because maybe Paul's an outlier. Maybe maybe what he really meant was something different. Uh, we'll jump over to 1 Peter. It's all the, the Pauline epistles. And then... Uh, there we go. There we go. First Peter chapter two, verses thirteen to seventeen. Ah, here we go. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as to the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bondslaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty straightforward though, isn't it? All authority comes from God, and you need to submit to it. And it's got, I just love this summation. It sounds very, uh, sounds like something Tolkien would, would write in one of his books. Uh, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. It says people here, but the word there is actually men, which is used in a gender neutral sense. And has been for thousands of years. Until suddenly we have a problem with it. So this, it says clearly, obeying the government is the will of God. 
that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Excuse me. So once again, the government's job is to punish the wicked, to reward the good. There we go. Now, how does this affect being in America? Because our government is accountable to the people. Uh, well, it, it's not actually accountable to the people. It hasn't been for a while. And any government that's truly accountable to the people descends into socialism almost immediately. Uh, so when you're having to navigate that as a Christian in a society that allows you to vote and affect the government, naturally, you should vote and affect the government. And, uh, you know, make sure the laws allow Christians to be free, uh, to not allow things that are in clear violation of God's law. There's a, there's a little bit of a gray area. I say little bit, and I don't, I don't actually believe in gray areas. The, my personal view of the government is to punish the wicked and reward the good. All the government needs to do is leave everybody alone and make sure everyone leaves each other alone. And that's it. All it needs to do is maintain a level playing field. Freedom of don't make being a religion a crime. That's it. Uh, freedom of speech simply means don't imprison people for saying words at you. That's it. It's not that difficult. But the government has overreached in several, all areas, just all of them. And so now you're, it's the law. The police are going to arrest you if you don't, so you have to obey those laws. And you can vote for people who are going to forward certain agendas and certain law structures. And certain crimes, I think, crimes that are between that person and God aren't crimes. Crimes are when it's between that person and another person. So if two consensual adults decide to violate God's plan for human beings and nature, once again, it's... It's not harming anybody outside of them. They're leaving everybody alone. The government shouldn't be inside of their bedroom telling them what they can and can't do. Because that means the government has the power to be in their bedroom. That means it has the power to be in my bedroom to tell me what I can and can't do. And so just because I like what the government says now, they have the authority now to come into your bedroom to tell you what to do if certain types of marriage are or are not legal. Well, types. Certain perversions of marriage are or are not legal. And so that's what's intended when Christians say you can't legislate morality. Yes, do not murder is morality. Don't rob is morality. But the intention of that saying, it's, 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 a rhetor it's rhetoric. It sounds good, and so people say it, but then the meaning, it gets said so much, the meaning starts to drift away. My job is not to make sure that the law of the land is your personal reality. Your personal morality, sorry. Your personal morality is between you and God. The government's job is to make sure nobody dies, nobody gets stolen from, and other governments don't show up to take our stuff. That's it. That's their only job. For the economy, they shouldn't be regulating the economy and controlling, just 
keep it a level playing field. Everybody do what you want. Level playing field. It's It should be the cranky, tired dad method. Are you bleeding? No? Go away. Is somebody trying to murder you? No? Go away. You're grown up. Solve your own problems. If people are lying, cheating, stealing, robbing, that's when there's an issue. I think lying should not be regulated simply because it is or can be made to be by lawyers subjective. Whenever there's a subjective standard, uh, you cannot effectively write laws about it because then lawyers are going to argue and then it means nothing and then it's going to become a weapon for people who are smart and corrupt and immoral, amoral. Uh, Who decides what's lying? What facts are your statement based on? Well, it's true in a certain sort of way. No, that was a lie. But you could you could play devil's advocate and argue it, and in a court of law, that's actually as valid as objective reality. So you have to understand if someone if there's not an objective standard of yes no a binary standard, then. We're going to have problems, right? Informed consent. There's a binary. Did you know what you were getting into? No. Well, then the person who did not inform you and they knew that you didn't know, well, now there's a problem. They're the ones who are wrong for stealing or, you know, giving you the test drugs or whatever. It, you have to keep things in a simple, clear-cut binary or you start getting into the weird, murky things where who's right, what's wrong, what is morality... The law should be concerned with, are you hurting each other? Are you stealing each other's stuff? Um, And then that's the direction that I personally tend to vote, is I want the government to leave me alone, because I don't plan on murdering anybody. So I should be allowed to have as many firearms as I want, because they're not hurting anyone. However, it gets confusing as to what authority you take from the, the people have the authority. So yes, the Constitution should be the source of authority for the American government, but it hasn't been for a very long time. Just practically speaking, it's not anymore. And even then, it's it's a piece of paper, not a person. And that person's authority ultimately comes from God. So they're going to have to answer to God for what they do. So... It, I, I'm not going to say it's a gray area, but it's something that you need to decide what are the relevant factors to determine right and wrong for yourself on that nuance of if the government oversteps their bounds, you are bound by Romans chapter 13 to obey the government put over you. The American government's an interesting one because it includes stipulations about civil disobedience. Um, it includes... Um, an allowance for the people to own weapons. It includes a part about it may be necessary to overthrow the government in the governmental structure of America. It's in the, the Constitution. So, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Um, I, I'm basically just going to play it by ear because that hasn't happened yet and it hasn't uh, needed to be an issue. And it's one of those things that I personally am going to cross the bridge when I get there. Uh, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of nuance to be had in the American government. Uh, however, the one 
place, the, the obvious exception, when the government tells you to do things that are against God's law. If the government tells you to blaspheme the Lord or deny Christ and die, well, that's where you can't, right? That's where you disobey. Wait. I'm using somebody's driveway, and uh, I'm using a church parking lot, and they, they just showed up. I think I'm going to drive off without an explanation. That's all i got for you today. You guys have been awesome, and I'll see you next time. Godspeed.